Crossway Church Sermon Audio. From Matthew chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, if you could please turn there with me. Matthew chapter 6, where we'll continue our second sermon in a two-part series, Teach Us, uh, or Pray Then Like This, where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, from the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Steve took us through the first part of the Lord's Prayer, and in, in doing so, he, among other things, brought us to the very core of what prayer is, at the very center, what is prayer? It is communion with our God. It's communion with the living God. It's conversation. It's, it's communion, fellowship with God. And among other things, certainly, he's brought that to our attention. He brought to our attention as well that we're helpless, that really true biblical, faithful prayer is prayer that comes out of a helpless state, comes out of a, a soul that cries out to God in helplessness, seeing God as the answer, seeing God as the truth. Seeing God as the solution. So we looked at the first part of this prayer, the first three petitions, really as Christ outlines them. Let me just read these words for us, verses 9 through 13, and go further. This is God's word. Pray then like this, Jesus tells us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And these are the words of our Lord, the Lord's prayer as it is called. In the first three petitions after the invocation, the invocation being those very first words, our Father in heaven, who is in heaven, our who art in heaven, as the King James puts it. Our Father, who art in heaven. The invocation is where we're calling out to God. We're addressing God as Father. Jesus calls us to do so, and Steve taught us that last week. And then the first three petitions that follow the invocation were, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are the three first really the primary concerns of prayer, is that we come to God as God, that we recognize who He is in all of His goodness, all of His greatness, and all of His glory, that we stand before Him, we kneel before Him in prayer with our minds fixated on the person and the worth of God. That's what communion with God starts with. That's really the foundation. That's the fountain of communion with God, is coming to know who God is in His person. And standing or kneeling, as it were, in prayer in all of him. And at helpless need for him. And here in this next section of the Lord's Prayer, turning into verse 11, we're going to take a turn from looking at God as God, really confessing his greatness, his sovereignty, his will, his purposes, that he does on earth whatever he pleases. His will will be done. You know, and in fact, calling on God to do that. Ascribing to him power and sovereignty. But here in verse 11, we're taking a turn where we're going to all of a sudden, the Lord's going to instruct us how to pray for ourselves. How to pray for our needs. And it's kind of an interesting transition if you think about it. We're going from the grandeur of God in verse 10, right? 
Your will be done, right? On earth as it is done in heaven. And all of a sudden, the next, the next petition is give us this day our daily bread. We've gone from the grandeur of God to a loaf of bread. In less than a breath. A few simple short words later, we're talking about bread. We're talking about our next meal. I mean, it really is an odd or a jarring moment there, the idea of standing under a supernova and asking what's for lunch, right? Standing at the Grand Canyon, what, I'm, what's, what's my next meal going to be? You know, in very similar fashion, and for all the more, infinitely more, that we're in the presence of God Almighty, who is true and living bread himself, who offers himself through Christ as our meal, as our eternal life. Yet we're called to pray for things that help us stay alive, you know, in the next moment. So it can often be a struggle for us to pray for ourselves, to pray for things, can it? I think it can feel at times being selfish that I'm praying for myself, praying for things, especially things as benign or as banal as bread, my daily needs. I've got to eat my next meal. I need to pray for that. That can feel selfish. Or it can also feel unspiritual, like we're asking, again, like we're asking for lunch in the presence of a king. Like, why are we bothering praying for things when there's bigger things to deal with here? Like, as though the physical realm, as though my body, my bodily needs are beneath God. Or not necessarily, he's not to be trifled with with these matters. Or also, it could be as though we go to God, we already know that he knows what we need. So why do we bother asking? If he knows that I cannot survive without a meal, why do I need to ask for it? It feels redundant, doesn't it? So the temptation can be for us. That we don't pray. That we fail to ask for these common physical things. Or these needs. God's provision. We fail to pray. Because it feels like God already knows. So why bother? So yet, yet here we are. Jesus doesn't steer away from this. The Lord's prayer is very clear and simple. Jesus commands us to pray for things. To pray for our bodily needs. Pray for his protection and for his grace. Here we are, and that's what we're going to do. Verses 11 through 13 in our message, part two, to pray then like this. We're going to look at the same theme, really, from last week. And the theme is, seek help exclusively from your heavenly Father, who always hears your prayers. Seek help exclusively from your heavenly Father, who always Here's your prayers. And from this text, we're just going to go verse by verse. 11, verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. Three different points that address our helplessness. We are helpless and we need God's daily provision. That's verse 11. Verse 12, we're helpless and we need God's constant forgiveness. And finally, in verse 13, we are helpless and we need God's ongoing protection. So follow with me in the scriptures, starting with verse 11. God's daily provision. We need God's daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. So we now have come to a place in the prayer where we're praying for our needs. And again, the temptation to feel like this is beneath God. There could be a temptation, or even within Christian circles, that this, there's some hyper-spiritual conclusion that says, God should not be messing with, or we should not be messing with God with these kind of, these needs. That the Christian prayer, the ideal Christian prayer, does not focus on self, or on really these kind of secular, or these biological needs, or these physical needs that we may have. That somehow it's beneath Christian prayer. 
That the ideal Christian prayer would go elsewhere. It would go to more godly things, spiritual matters. You know, making this dichotomy between what is good and right for a Christian to pray for. Well, here Jesus clearly is teaching. So that hyper-spirituality gets it wrong. And I'm, I'm here to say for two reasons. First of all, because Jesus tells us to do it. And if Jesus says to do something, I'm going to stand with Jesus, okay? We should stand with Christ and his teaching. Very pure and simple. Give us this day our daily bread. If Christ teaches that in this beautiful golden prayer, the one by which we judge all other prayers, right? The Lord's Prayer. This is meant to be the template by which we bring all prayer to to God, that we understand how we are to pray. We're praying for physical things. So firstly, Jesus teaches it. So we should pray for physical things. We need to. Jesus commands it. Secondly, I think it concludes falsely that God should not be concerned with our trifling matters, right? For these trifling lower order kind of things, like our physical needs, like bread in your belly. Like that somehow is beneath God, that that is trifling to God. However, that kind of hyper-spirituality, I think, is way off the mark. Because, think about it, in order to conclude that that is beneath God, that's trifling to God, I have to make another conclusion. That conclusion is that I can do that. Right? I'm going to have to conclude that's beneath God, so therefore it's on my plate. I have to do this. I've got to provide for myself. Hey, I can do this. You know, there is the kind of hyper-spirituality actually ends up being an ego trip. It's an ego trip. It's what it is. It's a hyper-spiritual ego trip to believe that I have the ability and power to provide for myself a crumb of bread. As though my life, my sustenance is within my grasp. That I could do something about this. It's in my power. It's in my ability. It is a ego trip. Hear from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this. He says this. We must all realize our utter dependence on God. Even for our daily bread. If God willed it so, we should have no daily bread. He could withhold the sun and in its influence. He could stop the rain. He could make our land absolutely barren so that the farmer with all his modern implements and chemicals could not raise a crop. He could blast the crop if he wanted to. We are absolutely in the hand of God. And the supreme folly of this modern era is the folly of thinking that because we have acquired a certain amount of knowledge of the laws of God, we are independent of him. We cannot live a day without him. Nothing would continue were it not sustained and kept going by God. Give us this day our daily bread. It is a good thing for us at least once a day, but the oftener the better, to remind ourselves that our times, our health, and our very existence are in his hands. Our food and all these necessary things come from him. And we depend upon his grace and mercy for them. Let's not go on ego trips here. In our prayer life, let us helplessly cast ourselves and our needs before God our Father. Jesus teaches it. We must obey. So let us pray. Let's ask God for his help for ourselves and for others. Notice the plural there. You know, Jesus is teaching this prayer in the plural. It's meant that we're not only meant to pray for ourselves and our own physical needs, but for others. Let's go forth and pray in faith. That God expects, in fact, demands that we seek him in prayer, asking him for daily bread for the needs that we face. 
for the problems that arise. So we must go to God. So do you need the Lord's help? Finding better employment that will help provide for your family. Let me challenge you to pray. To ask the Lord for his grace. Do you need wisdom to know how to make ends meet? Your budget is not cutting it. Let me challenge you to go to your Father in heaven and pray. Ask him for wisdom and for provision. Do you need the Lord's guidance regarding retirement? Maybe you're getting to that point in your career. Your age, your body, your mind, all those things are combining to make it clear that it's probably time to step away. Do you need God's guidance? Pray. And the Lord will give you wisdom. And finally, do you desire to be married? Or maybe to have children? Pray. Ask the Lord to provide a husband or a wife or to give the blessing of children. As we pray for these things, as we pray for these things, and many, many more, we could keep going on, right? All the many needs and pressures we face, all the longings and problems we have, we must always call to mind as we pray, The faith-filled prayer will always do this. When we go to God asking for daily bread, we must acknowledge, confess, and believe that either God will give us what we ask for or he will give himself. We must always, when we come before the Father, acknowledge, confess, and believe, Lord, when I ask this, when I ask for the daily bread, you will either give me that daily bread Or you will give me yourself. You will give me living bread. Which, let's be honest, that's that's what we really want. All the desires and tastes and feelings that are pleasant and good on this side of heaven are shadows of the living bread of what is to come. So even as we pray for daily bread, let us confess, Lord, if I go hungry this evening, you will give me yourself. Because you will not, you will not, You will will not fail to give me one of those two things. Either living bread or daily bread. So when we are hungry, our hunger will not be in vain. If you pray, you go hungry. And the thing that you ask for isn't coming. What you are experiencing in that moment is not in vain. For the Lord has promised, I will give you that or I will give you myself. And you can know, if you have been praying for a husband for a wife, and they have yet to knock on your door, you can know, brother, sister, that the Lord Himself, by the Holy Spirit, will be your truest companion. He will stand by you closer than a brother. He will fulfill everything. He is all we need. Really, as we sang this morning, Christ is enough. So either he will give himself or he will give living bread. So we honor the Lord by our helplessness, don't we? We don't honor God by pretending we can do this. You know, that never honors. It's no fun for a parent to try to help a three-year-old tie their shoes and for them to demand, I can do it! Right? That's frustrating because every parent knows they can't do that. They could be six hours at that task and they won't tie it and then you've got to tie it again anyway. That doesn't honor the parent. That's no fun for the parent and certainly for our Father in heaven for us to confess and acknowledge our weakness and helplessness to provide. We must cry out, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day. So, have you ceased from praying? 
It's my question for you on this point. Have you ceased from praying for your own needs or the needs of others because you have not seen the Lord's answer? That you've given up. God is not providing. God is not hearing me. I've asked for this many times and the answer has not come. Well, let's not pretend what that is. That is unbelief. And it is sinful before God. Let's not pretend that it honors the Lord to cease from praying and asking for daily bread, asking for his intervention, asking for his favor and blessing. Let us go to the Lord, repent of our unbelief. Wherever we've stopped from praying, remember Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Jesus teaches us very clearly, you and I, brother and sister, must keep praying. And if we fail to do so, we are basically accusing God of something terrible. If we stop from praying, we are making a very clear statement to our Father that, Father, you're not listening, you don't care, you're not going to do this for me. That is unbelief. And it dishonors the Lord. So let us, brothers and sisters, let us repent if we have stopped in our prayers, asking for his help, for his favor. And let us take up again in faith and pray, asking for daily bread, asking for his help. Let us do that. So it's not just our daily needs that require prayer. We certainly are helpless in so many ways. Secondly, Jesus points out in verse 12, God's constant forgiveness. We need God's constant forgiveness. We're helpless. We need God's constant forgiveness. So, verse 12, Jesus says it very simply. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 12. So while on earth Jesus certainly prayed for daily bread, we can be assured that as he would go off many times throughout the Gospels, the Gospel writers show us that Jesus would go off to be by himself, to be by himself with his Father to pray. And we can be assured that the first petition, give us this day our daily bread, was one that our Savior shared with us in his humanity. This second petition, Jesus does not share with us. We have to get that. Jesus did not pray this because he needed this. In praying the Lord's Prayer, we must understand, he prays this really as a a primer for us, an instruction, how we, broken, sinful people, must be praying when we get to the second petition. Because Jesus was without sin. He did not need forgiveness. No, he came to procure forgiveness, right? The perfect Lamb of God. So here we are in the blessing of his cross, yet he teaches us in verse 12, that we are helpless and we need constant forgiveness. He prays it. And we're going to break down this, this particular petition in two parts. The first part being, forgive us our debts. The second being, we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So, forgive us our debts. This first part of the petition, Jesus very clearly says, we need to be praying this. This is why it's in the Lord's Prayer. We need forgiveness. We all know our hearts, even if it's just a small degree. If you know your heart, even a, just a slice You know that you need forgiveness. If you're being honest and real about what's in there, the things that you've said or that you have done, the things that you've thought, the desires and the lusts and the fears, the things that you have accused God of or accused others of wrongly, those things in the past and even those things that we're struggling with today, if we know but a slice, we can all say, oh, I need forgiveness. We all Need forgiveness. And Jesus highlights, really in this petition in verse 12, he highlights forgiveness is a necessary, 
ongoing part of our communion with God. Okay? This is not, for instance, this is not a sinner's prayer where Jesus is praying through this for the first time convert. You know, who needs to ask God for forgiveness? Lord, please forgive me and I receive you and I know now go to be baptized. And no, this is, this is ongoing. Jesus is addressing believers, those who are disciples of Christ, who are to call God as Father, who through Jesus are now children of God. We now address God as Father. And now Jesus tells us, commands us, ask for forgiveness. Do it. That's what he says, right? Ask for forgiveness. So, this is meant to be an ongoing reality for the born-again child of God. Repentance is not just for beginners. It's not just for those who are new in the faith. Repentance is for the most mature, godly saint you know. And repentance is also, really, it truly is a mark of maturity. For the person who knows their sin and who knows the righteous requirements of God... And knows that sin comes between our, us and our fellowship with God. They will be the ones quickest to pr- repent. To ask God for forgiveness. So repentance is for the most mature down to the two day old brand spanking new believer. Repentance is for all of us. It is a necessary ongoing part of our Christian faith. So our sin nature, here's why. Here's why. This question could be asked. Why? Do we need God's ongoing forgiveness? Didn't Jesus pay for it all? Don't we sing that? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. I've been washed as white as snow. How could we then need to go on and ask for forgiveness? I've already been forgiven. And in the words of Psalm 103, verse 12, where it's spoken about our sin, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How then is it right and good and appropriate for a believer whose transgressions have been taken as far as east from west to now have to deal with sin again, to repent, to ask for forgiveness? How is that? Why could that be? Well, let's look at that. Our sin nature, I think Scripture makes very clear, New Testament certainly does. Our sin nature remains an active part of our lives. We have been forgiven indeed. Our, our, Our sins have been nailed. They have been canceled at the cross. If you have trusted in Christ, let me assure you, all of your sin, all of your sin has been blood-bought and scrubbed away. The penalty of your sin is no longer. You owe nothing because of what Jesus has done. Jesus paid it all. That is the gospel. That is the truth of the gospel for us. Now, there may be some here this morning that does not apply to you. You have not confessed your need for God or his salvation. And I want to take this moment to share the gospel with you. You may be here this morning. You don't know the salvation of God. You don't know your sins are forgiven. In fact, you may be glibly unaware. And I want to tell you, the punishment that is due your sin, my sin, is everlasting torment from our holy God. And in in this, we have escape. We have Christ. Christ came to be a sacrifice for our sin, that we might be washed, that our sins would be credited to him, that his righteousness, his purity, would become mine through faith. And that is salvation. And now the Spirit of God dwells in those. He gives us a new heart for anyone who calls on Jesus for salvation. So I would, I would encourage you, if you are that this morning, far from God, unaware, I would pray and I would urge you to come. And confess, come to God, confess your sin, 
and receive salvation. That would be the best news for any one of us to hear of salvation. So what, it, what about this Christ who comes to take away all our sin, but yet some remains, some remains. There is this presence of sin. The power of sin has been broken, but the presence of it. I'm still a sinner, as you know, and as my wife and my children will tell you, they see me up and close, and certainly you are sinners. I'm trying to point to all of you. I'll just go like that. All of you in that circle are sinners. All right? Let's settle this. We still have sin nature. It's in there. Came standard, unfortunately, because of Adam. I was born in sin, and it's still there. And the day is coming, praise God, that it will be taken from us on the day of resurrection from the dead. When Christ returns, sin is no more. He'll judge it. Either if you're an unbeliever, you will go into everlasting torment, or he'll judge it, and we will be pronounced righteous in God's sight and welcomed into his presence because of faith in Christ. And my prayer is that more of us, many of us, all of us, would know that salvation. So certainly that is what's going on. We have sin. We have need of God's ongoing forgiveness. And really, repentance it gets a bad rap at times. And I want to say it this way. We need repentance like we need oxygen. Do you like oxygen? <laughs> right? Yeah? And it's the difference, you know, it's like living in the metropolitan area in the midst of summer. You know, it's 98 degrees, 110% humidity. And you breathe in that air and it's like you you feel like you can barely breathe. And when you repent, it's like you drive into the deep, deep into the woods. You roll down the window and you, that first breath of fresh, cool mountain air. It's that feeling of such refreshment and joy to know the love and forgiveness of God. That is repentance. It's clearing out the smog and the heat and the humidity of sin and bringing out, oh, such cool, refreshing grace from God to stand in the reality of God's forgiveness. That's what repentance does. So let's think about it that way, that it's a cool, fresh air. So my question to you on this point is, are you regularly confessing your sins to God? When you pray, as you approach God, do you repent? We have to stand, we really do have to look to the standard Christ is setting here. This is the bar. This is the standard by which we measure, in a sense, our prayer life. Are we praying in God's will? If you are praying according to God's will, you will and must repent. So therefore, are you? That's the question. Are you aware of your sins before God? Are you repenting of them before God? Confessing your sins? And knowing, and at the same time as confessing, having great confidence and assurance that your sins are done away with. That Christ has paid it all. We can pray these prayers, Lord, forgive my debts, knowing full well and having confidence that Christ paid the debt. We can do that. And by faith, we, we will. So the second part of this petition is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the first part being forgive us our debts and our need for ongoing forgiveness. And now Jesus brings a very interesting twist here. As we also have forgiven our debtors. He modifies, in a sense, the quality of our forgiveness. And he adds a point to it in this way. He's talking about horizontal and vertical forgiveness, right? The idea that vertically... We need forgiveness from God. We need to seek it. We desperately need it. That is the the capital F forgiveness that Christ alone can bring. And we receive that mercy from the cross. 
And now, horizontally, God has called Christians, those who have known that vertical forgiveness, those who have truly been forgiven of their sin and received mercy from God, now go out from the cross, horizontally, among one another, and we show mercy and we show forgiveness. It's a fruit. It flows out of God's forgiveness to us. So if you are a Christian, you were made to forgive. Right? You were, in a sense, remade is a better way to say it. You've been born again to forgive people, to show mercy. Because why? Well, you received mercy and forgiveness from God. And your debt was far greater to God than that person's debt was to you. That's why. And now by the power of the Spirit, we go out. So Christ provides us in the second part of this prayer or this petition what really the essence of what bitterness and unforgiveness can do what it can do to our prayers. And I want to speak a bit here on the presence of bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. It's antithetical. Let me say this. Bitterness in relationships with other believers is antithetical to true Christianity. If there is bitterness, unforgiveness, coldness, indifference, or distance from a Christian in your life, it is antithetical to true Christianity. That bitterness, whatever the source or the problem was, it is anti-gospel in a sense. It is the source of unbelief. It's, the unbelief is at the source and it is flowing out in bad, bad fruit. Consider, you know, a man you might know, we all, we all maybe know this man. I'm, this is not a real man. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, just to be clear on that. A man we may all know, right? He comes to church, he's faithful. He boasts often and loudly about the mercies of God. He praises the Lord, PTL, all day long. He, he posts on Facebook all about what God's doing for him. He tithes regularly. He attends church. He does all the right things except major one thing. He's got a broken relationship with another believer in which he is refusing to step up. He's cold. He shut the door. He's indifferent. This person is in distance, far off in his heart and mind. He doesn't want even to pick it up. And maybe we approach this brother and we say, Brother, how could you do this? How could you be this way towards this brother? And this brother immediately says, Well, you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know how long, how much I had to endure, and all the evil things he had to say to me. You don't understand. How would you counsel that man? What would you say to that man in that moment? What would be, how would you press him to understand what Jesus is saying here? Well, I think for starters, we're not, in forgiveness, Jesus is not telling us to just close your eyes and pretend something didn't happen. Right? That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not me saying nothing really happened, no, nothing to see here, oh well. Yeah, I guess I'll just let that one slide. No. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a lack of acknowledgement of pain or difficulty or duress that it's caused to me. It's not ignoring those realities. That's, a, that's the reality of the struggle to be forgiving, right? Is to look at the pain, especially if this is something that's gone on 70 times, 70 times, you know? It just commands us to forgive our brother, brother many times. If it's been going on that long, it's painful. So this is not, this is not like some, this is not Jesus slap, you know, kind of coldly just Putting a, just do this, just do it, just forgive. It's not that kind of cold slap that we might think it to be. And certainly this man who's struggling with forgiveness needs to understand that God's call to forgive has more to do with the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in believers 
flowing from the cross of our Savior, that mercy and forgiveness now is meant to be channeled through us. And wherever we choose to dam that up, wherever we choose to block that, it is a place we need to stop, we need to repent, and we need to remove whatever is blocking. Because we have received great mercy from God, we need now to go and forgive and carry the mercy of the cross to each other. So God enables us to do what's impossible. You cannot forgive. I cannot forgive in our own strength. But we have the Holy Spirit. And for that brother who's stuck in unforgiveness, stuck in bitterness, they have lost sight of that. But did, did God not show up in your heart when you came to faith? Are you lacking the Holy Spirit and all that God gives in his grace and power to change? Does this somehow give you the blank check to hold this person in a cold war? No. No, that man must repent of his bitterness. Whatever's been done. Again, this is not a comment to how severe the sin was against him. This is more a comment if his heart is blocked with unforgiveness. The bitterness within. And Jesus is addressing that head on. If we're going to receive and walk in the blessings, in a sense, if we're going to walk in the blessings of true forgiveness from God, we will go. And flowing from that, forgive one another. So that's critical in our understanding of Forgiveness, And this is very important in all relationships, but I want to have one uh, specific application. That is in marriage. Brothers, sisters in marriage, is there bitterness, distance? Is there a chill in your relationship with your spouse? I think it's very important, brothers, sisters, that we stop now, look at the scriptures together, and understand from Jesus, you must repent of your bitterness, of your unforgiveness. And again, we may have excuses and we push back and say, well, you don't know what he's done. You don't know what she's been saying. Jesus doesn't get into that. He paid for it, certainly. But let me call you to this. If we're going to pray according to God's will, If we're going to pray with God's blessing, we must repent of bitterness. And this especially applies in marriage. So is there bitterness and coldness and division between you? I would urge you, I would implore with you, if you think that your relationship with your spouse can be so cold, but yet you can have a flourishing relationship with your father in heaven, you're wrong. You are wrong. How we treat one another, the divisions and the bitternesses we hold here, deeply affects our relationship with our Father in heaven. That's the way God made it. It's impossible for us to flourish in Christ if we're holding bitterness. So let us repent where there is bitterness, especially in our marriages, brothers and sisters, please. And if you're stuck, get help. Husbands, if you're stuck... Stop trying to do it all in your own strength. Get help. Confess. Gather help around you. Other brothers and sisters, you can share and confess. My marriage is stuck. It is awful. Help me. If you think you can do it alone, it's not going to get better. So by God's grace, I pray and hope that you will repent and that you will receive help for your marriage where you're stuck. So moving on, we're helpless. We're needing God's daily provision, right? Daily bread. We're helpless. We need God's constant forgiveness. And finally, thirdly, we're helpless and we need God's 
ongoing protection. Verse 13, what does Christ tell us to say? He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This final petition is not actually two different requests. It may seem that at first glance where you see two different clauses there. And lead us not into temptation, right? And then deliver us from evil. It's almost like it could be said those are two different things going on here. But I believe as, as it's, it's spoken here, as Jesus intends, this is actually one request, one petition that goes really negatively and positively saying the very same thing or similar things. And so I could say it this way. What Christ is teaching us to pray is say, Lord, don't lead us towards sin. Do protect us from evil. So don't do this. Do this. That's what, that's what we're being taught to pray. Lord, don't lead us into evil things. Don't lead us. And certainly that's a, that's a non-issue. Do we really believe, is, is Jesus teaching for a moment here that somehow there's a possibility that God, our Father, would lead us to temptation? No. Now, he's making the point here that negatively and positively that God is going to provide us with ongoing protection if we cry out to him in helpless faith. He will provide us the protection we need. And that protection comes in many ways in every direction. Why? Because our need for protection is in every direction. Evil is everywhere. There's evils within, right? We just talked about the seat point two. We talked about this. The need for forgiveness. I've got sin and corruption, lusts in my own heart. That God, by his grace, must protect me. Lord, protect me from my own heart. That I spoil everything. That I do evil, awful things. And deceive myself and think I'm doing okay. God, protect me. You know, that, that kind of evils that are within. And then there's certainly evils without, outside of us, in every direction, north. South, east, and west, up and down. There's the devil himself, who according to 1 Peter 5.8, he prowls like a lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is prowling. His teeth are sharp. His senses are keen. And he can smell hypocrisy. And he can smell pride miles away. And if there's any one of us who is self-sustained, who thinks they're self-sustained, If any one of us who thinks he's not helpful, the devil's got you. Blood in the water with a shark nearby. He knows. He smells it. And he goes right for it. You better believe it. You better believe it. And you'll be tripped up even further and further along into temptation and sin. And then there's certainly the evils of this world. This world is like one big messy factory just putting out choking gas. Poisonous, influencing gas that, that you don't know, we don't know just how influencing it can be in our opinions and our desires and our feelings about things. This world is influencing us. I mean, turn on the TV for 10 seconds and you'll be, I mean, it's, it's incredible. The messages that are being poured out like a big, ugly smokestack, ugly, filthy smoke going out. I mean, that's the spiritual mess this world is creating. And the world is filled with evil. And it tempts us, and it's dangerous. So there are evils within, and there's evils without. It's a minefield out there, people. It's a minefield. It's dangerous. You don't waltz on minefields. You don't play cards on minefields. You don't play 
lawn darts or horseshoe competitions on minefields. You don't step first, ask questions later on minefields. You don't come underprepared or unaware to a minefield. You don't. That's fatal. We come prepared, we come aware, we come desperate, helpless. Brothers and sisters, we are desperately in need of God's blessing, his protection, his hands, his, the, the shadow of his wing to be over us, to gather him to himself like a chicks to a hen. We need the Father's protection, don't we? Desperately. From the evils in this world. We need delivered from evil. We need to be kept from temptation on every side. We need God's protection. And when we pray for God's protection, know this. We do not pray to a weak or an unwilling God. We pray to a Father who is omnipotent and loving. Who longs for us to be helpless before Him. Think about this. In this world, this world prizes independence. It will tell you that maturity is self, really being completely self-sustained. Totally independent. That is maturity. That Where I'm strong, I could do anything. That's the kind of mentality that this world wants to tell us. But Jesus is commending to us something quite the opposite. Really what Jesus is telling us to do is what any child instinctively knows how to do. When a child is lost, what do they do? When they're hurt, do they sit there? Do they just pretend they've got it all together? Do they pretend, I'm strong, I can handle this? No, when a child is lost, they cry until mom or dad comes to get them. When a child is hurt, they weep, they moan until mom or dad comes to sweep them off their feet and attend to their wound, however big or small it may be. A child knows exactly how to handle distress and danger. And they're not ashamed to do it. Sometimes to the embarrassment of a parent in public. Right? We've all been there. Like, really, you're going to weep and moan and scream over this? But yet, that is the instinct of a child. To know their helplessness. To know that their only hope in that moment is their parent, is their father. Or their mother. And brothers and sisters, how much more for us as children of our Father? God is our Father. And the dangers we must face are far greater than a skin knee or being lost at Sears. Because I was playing in the, the coat rack, you know, where you can walk in the middle of the rack and where all the coats are hanging. You never do that? I've done that and I got lost. And listen, our dangers in this world are far greater than being lost at Sears. Dangers we're dealing with are spiritual, devilish, awful dangers. And God calls us to immaturity. Here's the point. Mature faith is quick and loud to cry out to God. It's quick and it's loud, just like a child. If you're going to be mature in faith, you had better start yelling right now. <laughs> Help! That's mature faith. Mature faith according to Christ that prays according to God's will recognizes your weakness, your helpless before God, and the dangers and the perils of the world we live in. At every turn, sunny day or, or pouring rain, doesn't matter. You will know by faith, I am helpless. Help! That's faith. That's mature faith. That's praying according to God's will. It's to seek God's ongoing protection. 
Not just when you see the danger looming, you hear the thunder, and you see the clouds. No, it's at every moment. We are walking on a minefield. And we know that even if it's sunny out, all is well, we know any step could be a really bad idea. And we know the one who already went before us, cleared the way. We already know the forerunner, Lord Jesus Christ, already paved the way. So what do we do? I could do this myself. (laughs) No. Like a child, we cry out for help. We pray. We go to God. Lord, protect me, please. Protect me for myself. God, deliver me. And this is ongoing, brothers and sisters. This is all the time. Please deliver me. Have mercy, O God. So, we're helpless. We need God's provision. We need his constant forgiveness. And we need his ongoing protection through prayer. We come and we pray. So as we conclude this look at the Lord's Prayer, I do want a a brief couple moments. Look at pray then like this. I'm concluding really hopeful, uh, encouraging application. Where to go next? We've looked at the Lord's Prayer, Steve, last week, myself, today. These wonderful verses from our Lord Jesus Christ teaching us how to pray. Now, how do we go? What do we do? How do we pray? First and foremost, praying according to God's will. I think it's important that we note this, that the Lord's Prayer is the lines that God has drawn for us. All we have to do is color it in. We don't have to draw our own picture. Christ drew it. Now just color. (laughs) Stay in the lines, right? If you want to know how to pray according to God's will, here it is. Color it. Fill it in. And you can be creative, sure. It's not like some rigorous... You know, like we're supposed to actually literally pray the Lord's Prayer every time we pray. No, it's meant to be a template, a helpful. This is, this is according to God's will. These lines that Jesus gave us. So the command is color it. Stay in the lines. So what I do is, I mean, really every single time I pray, every single time, the Lord's Prayer comes right to mind. And it orients us. It has a way of reminding us, who am I praying to, right? What am I supposed to say right now? <laughs> Sometimes we have no clue, right? Well, it instructs us very clearly, practically. Here's who we're addressing. This is who he is. He is our Father in heaven. His name is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. He is sovereign in heaven. And all things will go according to his plan and purpose. And God wants me to ask for things. So, and then he goes, you know, you see how it works. Is we're looking at the Lord's Prayer as a way of understanding how I should be orienting to God. How I should be, what I should be saying. What do I pray? Well, use the Lord's Prayer. Bring it to mind. So my question is, do you know the Lord's Prayer by heart? Fathers, teach your children to pray the Lord's Prayer. Your children need to know the Lord's Prayer. They do. If they're going to learn how to pray as Jesus taught, here it is. So fathers, mothers, teach your children to pray. Teach them how to pray. Show them the Lord's Prayer. Memorize it. Like our family every, every night, over me, after our meal, after our dinner's done, We have a Bible time, and after Bible time, we pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we go into praying for people in situations and praising God for the day, every day. So the kids get the Lord's Prayer. Get your children to the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. So first, pray according to God's will, keeping within the lines of the Lord's Prayer. Secondly, pray together. I think this is a big part of what the church is meant and called to be. This is what we're made for, right? We're made to call on the Lord together. So my encouragement to you is not only pray according to God's will, but pray with other believers. We learn by praying with others. We get inspired by praying with other believers, right? You hear their devotion, their love for Jesus coming right out when they pray. 
And that inspires the believer, doesn't it? Does it inspire you to pray with other Christians? Maybe for some of it's a very fearful moment, like you have to pray perfect prayers. No, no. Let's gladly and joyfully go to be with other believers to pray, to pray with one another. I've learned more about prayer, certainly from the Lord's Prayer, but in examples I've seen played out older saints praying with them to hear their hearts, to hear their faith for God. It's beautiful. Let's do that together. And two examples of that will be Friday morning men's prayer. 5.30 a.m. every single week, gentlemen. There are two men's prayer groups that meet, two different locations. It's in your bulletin. Get involved. Pray with other men. Ladies, 9.30 every Sunday morning, there's a prayer, prayer meeting for ladies. Gather with the believers. Pray with the other ladies. Every Sunday. These are two ways we can get involved, praying together. And finally, praying in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray? Why should we pray in the name of Jesus? Well, I think it is important to know this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's John chapter 14, verse 13. Colossians 3, Paul tells us, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This means, quite simply, we don't come in our own name. I come through Jesus, right? Jesus told us, no one goes to the Father except through me. And in praying in Jesus' name, whenever I conclude, whenever we conclude a prayer, a Christian prayer, we're saying, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. There's reason for that. It's a declaration of confidence, of faith, that we come in Jesus. I don't come by my own blood. I don't come by my own righteousness. I come through His. He's my hope. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's everything. And Father, I come to you confidently, boldly, through Jesus Christ, confidently calling you Father, knowing you're for me, not against me, knowing that you who did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will you not then with him give us everything we need? You know, if I ask, you will give. So it's that kind of confidence. And it really is clear to the point, in the name of Jesus, I come. And it gives us that confidence that the Father's hearing. God hears us. Because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. So let us go in prayer in Jesus' name. Let us go together and let us pray according to his will. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.